show all about people's personal journeys to Bitcoin. In this episode, I speak with Texas Slim, a seventh generation Texan and founder of the Beef Initiative. We chat about food intelligence via self-education, recovering from life-threatening sickness, and what it means to go back to your roots as a Texan. Listen on to learn why the, f- the global food industry is such a problem, how empowering the individual is a solution, and why Bitcoin appeals to the farming community. Chatting to characters like Slim are what this show is all about, someone with a fantastic story to tell that is motivated to leverage Bitcoin in a positive way. Slim, once again, thanks so much for your time. I look forward to helping the Australian Beef Initiative get up and running, testament to the influence your work is now having around the world. Enjoy, friends. Now, I'd like to take a quick moment to mention my sponsor, FastBitcoins.com. They're a Bitcoin-only exchange based in the Isle of Man on a really exciting journey. If you'd like to learn more about them, I encourage you to search back through my episode library and listen to a couple of key conversations. Firstly, Danny Brewster, the founder CEO, and secondly, Nathan Smith, the chief compliance officer. Both stories give an excellent insight into the people building the business. In the coming weeks, you can expect a custom referral link, which you can also use on sign up to get the best possible rates. We haven't quite put the finishing touches on it, so please keep your eyes peeled. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome back to Bitcoin with Jake. Today I'm speaking with Texas Slim. Welcome, sir. Hey, how you doing, Jake? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Sorry, I'm sitting here in my pickup truck today, so I apologize (laughs) for that, but it's okay. Well, that's the the beauty of modern technology. You can answer a call anywhere at any time. Uh, So no problem with that at all. If honest, I only release these on audio, so no one's going to have the pleasure of seeing you in your car, just myself today. Um, Well, uh, either which way, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for joining. So um, where do we even start? I mean, I know that you're going to be someone that has the most fascinating journey, and I can't wait to start picking apart pieces of it. Um, And I'm I'm inevitably, I'm always fascinated by who we are and how we got to what we're doing today. Um, So just as a, a starting question, and because this is a Bitcoin podcast, Let's just chat briefly through, you know, how did you hear about Bitcoin? Um, do you have a friend somewhere that told you about it that, you know, you'll forever be indebted to for that process starting or um, just a little bit about your genesis of, of adopting Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, whenever I've, you know, I heard it way back in the beginning, I was in Austin during those days, you know, I think about 2012, I absolutely paid no attention to it. I was kind of buried into a, a type of a consulting job that I didn't really have a, a gateway to see it at that time. And then I saw it again and, you know, got some attention towards it in 2017. But I was out in the middle of you know, uh, kind of an environment that I really didn't have access to content. And so I didn't really pay attention. But then I kind of transferred into you know, a uh, different line of work after I got out of technology and I got, I got busted up and I got sick. And uh, so I was laid up and I was looking at food again because I wanted to get nice and healthy and all that. And I come from ranching and agriculture. You know, that's where my ancestors come from. And so I started looking at uh, food until I started creating this like uh, rabbit hole of food. And I came because I was laid up. I was only doing research. And that, of course, I came across Bitcoin through some, you know, shit coin type of uh, portal. And, uh, you know, I found it very fascinating, very fascinating. And the more I looked at Bitcoin, the better I got at food intelligence. And so I went down my own rabbit hole. 
and I used and leveraged both of them with the decentralized mindset of thinking. And I was able to find out a lot about the food industries that a lot of people don't pay attention to or don't have access to. And so I just went down both rabbit holes at the same time and I just started combining them in my own life. And then here we are. It just, it's been a fascinating journey. And that started about three years ago. Wow. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to what you're up to today with the Beef Initiative. And equally, I've been privy to some conversations that are happening here in Australia to do the Australian mm-hmm. Beef Initiative. So it's, it's incredible how the, the virality of, of good ideas, do you know what I mean? They just spread. Yeah. People love them. They fucking make sense. They're like, ah, oh, that's what I've been fucking waiting for. <laughs> Boom, I'm in. Before right. we get to that moment, though, so um, you mentioned your family is uh, a ranching family. What's life like growing up on a ranch? What did you learn from that process? And you ended up in technology consulting from your brief comments yeah. just then. Um, how did you yeah. end up there? And, and, and what process was that like? Well, I'm like a seventh generational Texan. And, you know, a lot of people say farming, ranching, and a lot of the combinations in between, you know, grass farmers land stewards so that's all that we did in texas and so my grandfather he ended up in the texas panhandle and it's a fascinating place a lot of a lot of the texas panhandle didn't get settled until after the 1880s it was a rough and tumble place still and uh there was wars with the comanche indians so my family pioneered up through those times and um we'd been in texas for a long time but always down south and so I, you know, my whole family comes from the soil. We come from West Texas and, you know, being stewards of the land or stewards of the animal, uh, farming, ranching, all of the above. And so that's always just been in our, our kind of in our bloodline. I grew up small town, Texas, and I was around ranches, cowboy life, and just the farming and everything, the dirt roads. It just combines, tractors, just everything. It was it was a lifestyle. And so I know a lot about the damn agricultural business because I'm in a hot zone of multinational processing centers, uh, abundance of cattle, abundance of monocropping, chemical companies. I mean, I'm in the freaking belly of the beast. So I've seen it all my whole life. But once I found Bitcoin, I was able to look into it a lot deeper. And that's just the fascinating thing of that. But um, so by saying that, you know, that that allowed me to basically live a pretty uh, good life as far as whenever I left small town Texas, I went straight to Austin and I'd never went to school or anything. I've always been kind of a, my own independent researcher and I fell into technology and I found it, fell into networking. And so I learned a lot about computer networking and then, you know, doing um, company-wide networking and just the, the philosophy behind centralization and decentralization. So I was pretty lucky in that. And I also worked in multimedia, radio, television, film. I did project management. So I got to bounce around a lot and I did a lot of consulting, but then I also, I, I would leave Austin and I'd go up to the mountains and cowboy or ski instruct. And then I just started traveling the world. And I, I rode a motorcycle across Asia at one point in time. I went down to uh, Central America. I dove all over, you know, the Yucatan Peninsula. So I've just been living a damn, you know, a fun life pretty much ever since I was in my 20s. And I always did it on my own. I never, you know, I never, we weren't rich. We didn't have any damn money. So I always had to innovate with anything I wanted to do. 
And so I've always been pretty much independent in that sense. And so I, I would, you know, spend time in technology, but then I go spend time around the world and I, it really balanced out well. And Austin was always a very good central point to do that. And it really allowed me to visit Texas even deeper and that I already knew of it and also let me kind of see the world in a way that a lot of people don't get to see it. So, um, and by saying that I became a very good researcher and an analyst. And so I got pretty deep into what was going on in technology. I'd been with it from the beginning. I'd been with a couple of uh, very smart and successful startups, um, that I knew what technology was all the way back from like online software. And so whenever I was able to get into, you know, the research and analysts, it was telecommunications. And I saw what they were doing with social media. And I saw what they were doing and tracking. And, you know, the, tele the phone companies are about as close to the government as you can get. So, you know, I ended up working in those labs a little bit. So I learned a lot. And I just got out of it. I got sick of it. And then I just started living that other type of lifestyle. And then that brought me back to, you know, exactly where I kind of started the story with as far as finding Bitcoin and finding, you know, food intelligence. Well, Slim, we only have um, an hour of your time. There are so many yeah. different directions from the, the stories you just briefly touched on there that I'd like to go in. But um, sure. something I have a, uh, a, a story in common with, at least, is you mentioned motorcycling across Asia. So I used to live in Singapore. Uh, for four and a half right. years and i did a couple of bike trips in uh northern Kashmir in india and in kerala down oh, wow. the south of india and also right through the north of vietnam we took dirt bikes from hanoi and up along the chinese did border you? unbelievable right. experiences so I, I know how insightful and perspective gaining those kind of trips are you know you get out of your home you get out of what you're used to your job and you go and see how actually a lot of the world lives, right? You, you look yeah. at some of the stats on, on income globally. It's extraordinary how poor the vast majority of the world actually is. And you drive through these tiny villages where people are living in dirt huts and you're just like, holy fuck, this is, this is a different world out there. Yeah. That, you know, in yeah. your day job, you get so wrapped up in how everything's going. Is it bad? Is it good? You get stressed and then suddenly, boom, you're on the open road. And it's just the most kind of, it's the most free I've ever felt, basically. Oh, um, by far. I mean, it's an addiction, but it's a damn good addiction when you're yeah, right in the middle of it. It's you very know, cool, it really isn't is. it? So yeah. what I'd like to touch on, and it's something that I really enjoy about these these interviews with people, is um, Bitcoin's incredibly new, right? Call it a decade old. And sure. Yeah, sure. We had you know, newspaper articles in 2011, 2012, but very few people at that stage understood its significance. Here we are yeah. 10 years later, and more and more people are starting to go, oh, that really does make a lot of sense. Um, so I think it's incredibly normal and very reasonable to dismiss it a number of times. But eventually, there's like this point where it clicks. And something you've mentioned in terms of the, the, the skills you gained networking, you know, the Beef Initiative is a network, the Bitcoin yeah. network. There are, you know, social networks out that you, you know, this podcast is a network. Every guest I interview, I can contact in the future and ask for help, or they can ask me for help, or I can introduce some other guest to another guest. It's, it's a network. Um, you mentioned centralization versus decentralization and that you'd studied it through that experience. Can you just open yeah. up a little on that? So what, what is centralization? What is decentralization? And what perspective did you have as a result of that, uh, that job? Sure. Well, whenever you have centralization, you have all these damn gateways and, you know, you have a big funnel 
you know, it starts out looking like a spider web, but it still goes down into one small little gateway of a funnel that is basically controlled by very few people. And, you know, you can visualize that. And that's something I'm very good at. I've always been good at visualization. And so once you get there, you see you lose energy, everything comes to a stall and every, every, everything gets checked, right? And so that's how most of the internet, we don't even have the internet anymore. It's just a big damn index that's controlled unless you know how to get underneath the interface surface level. Mm-hmm. Most people live their lives these days on that interface surface level, you know, of this little point click and that's all they know. You know, how we grew up, we had to innovate into the Internet. So it was not basically that controlled in a central way in the beginning. And so you had to have a lot more better skills to understand how to communicate. And, you know, the way it's gone is that all these massive corporations have, you know, centralized our information, our content, uh, the algorithms, everything that we behave with online really is a centralized control apparatus that a lot of people don't understand on the big picture. By saying that, you know, then you look at decentralization and I always do it for people that don't really understand. It's like you're on top of a mountain and the water flows down. It does not just pick one little place it sometimes it does but there's thousands of tributaries that actually happen because of the force of that gravity and that's caused by a decentralization of slope of speed and energy and so you know you look at bitcoin it's energy it's decentralized and so you you can't stop that the water flows down the mountain and nothing you can do will ever stop that water flowing. And that's how you need to look at Bitcoin as far as the network. And that's what I really want to see people kind of start understanding about food is like, this is how we need to control our food too, because the more centralized our food becomes, the, the more that they can take out of it with, uh, with which we will never know what is happening. Basically, whenever you have that decentralized type of food systems, you know, it flows like water. There's no gateways. It, it does. It flows naturally. And that goes with its energy. It goes with its purity. It's not checked because it's free. And so, you know, that's how I look at it. That's how I got into Bitcoin so easy. It's like, man, the, it, people ask me what the beef initiative is. I said, it's based on the Bitcoin ethos. And so, you know, by having that decentralization, we can build all these nodes, like you say. And that's what we're doing within the beef initiative. There are no boundaries. We can do this anywhere in the world. We can build out our nodes as we transform into Bitcoin and get a couple of layers working with lightning. You know, you have on chain. We have these layers that we're going to build on top of bitcoin and one of those layers is going to be food and that's what we're doing right now with the beef initiative yeah fascinating isn't it okay what a wonderful um uh kind of picture you give that mountain the water trickling down everyone can understand that you know as a child you played with a a bit of rain and it was running down the road and you tried to use leaves to stop it and as many leaves as you put in there it just doesn't stop do you know what i mean that's exactly what i thought about as a boy playing in the kind of gutter at home um yeah okay that's a, a wonderful way of thinking about it how interesting and so this passion for food it's really coming through and obviously the this project the beef initiative that you're focused on is is all about great healthy nutritious food you mentioned you got sick so let's rewind to that point um sure there as much or as little as you want but what happened and how sick were you well, and <laughs> what, what was the what was the catalyst for it and you had a certain set of symptoms what was the cause and perhaps okay you know, some, some of the reasons that people often get given for the cause or they, 
you know, the traditional Western medicine system is deal with the symptom, not the cause. And so there's probably yeah. a stage where you're like, fuck that, this isn't working for me. So how did that process work for you? Man, that's a damn good question. Not too many people ask me that in that way. And I don't mind answering. It's just as I'm not going to go out there and brag about things. But when people ask me, I'll just be transparent. You know, growing up the way I did, I've broken over 20 bones in my body. I've broken my neck. I've got like 14 pieces of metal in me. So I've always understood the medical profession for putting me back together. Right. And they're very good at that. Well, about three years ago, I was working, and I had an internal injury. I got busted up a little bit, and um, working in a shop, it's not, it's not even worth telling, really, but what it did, it caused an internal injury that nobody could understand what was going on, and I started losing all kinds of weight, and um, didn't matter, you know, what was going on, and I started retaining fluid, and so they thought I had cancer, all kinds of stuff. They were looking in all the wrong directions and finally they drained like 21 liters out of my abdomen and they found out that I had a basically a collapsed portal vein and one of my portal veins had collapsed and it was causing my kidneys to shut down that's why I was retaining fluid and so you know that was a big scare because they were they were pretty much saying you're you're a goner and I was like well wow. this sucks and so it kind of hit pretty hard and I just fucking made an agreement saying, man, you know, it wasn't nefarious how I got sick, but I know that I've been beat up before. I've had broken bones. I've had all kinds of shit and I don't like the medical field. And then, and I took that time to reflect and say, okay, if you get well out of this, if you make this shit, you're not going to take anything for granted anymore. It's not some diet. It's not some quest for nutrition. It was like, hey, you're going to get to the source of the seed of how the hell you got strong in the first place when you were growing up and how you can do that again right now. And so that, you know, getting sick like that was a blessing in disguise. And it took me about, I guarantee it took about nine months. I got down to 125 pounds and I weigh about 178 right now. So I lost over 50 pounds and I didn't have no fat to lose. <laughs> wow. And so it was, it was a big hit to the system. I'll just put it that way. But once again, you know, here we go down food intelligence and Bitcoin and it all was part of me getting healthy again. Cause I did have a pretty big scare there. Well, and just for a moment, if you could dwell on that, like how did that feel? <clears throat> like having a doctor in a white coat in a hospital, walk into a room and say, sorry, mate, it's not looking good. Right. Well, that same doctor, he said, he called me up on the phone once. He goes, get to the emergency room. We got to do emergency surgery. He got an ulcer. And he, he just went down the wrong rabbit hole, man. I was like, well, shit. Okay. Well, I'll be there in a little bit. Well, that was false. That didn't work out. And then after they drained all that fluid, I've got pictures of that. It's fascinating. But after they drained that fluid, you know, that that moment for me was truly, you know, okay, you're probably not going to die, right? Okay. But one thing that I started talking to the nutritionist right off the bat is she didn't know a damn thing about food. I was fascinated. Wow. And she was giving me all kinds of bullshit that I, even I knew was not right. And so that's when I knew that we were kind of in trouble here. And, you know, that, that sparked a lot saying, you, nobody's going to save your ass. You're going to save yourself. And it was very intentional. And that's when I had that moment saying, okay, you know, quit rent seeking your life, quit rent seeking your health, quit rent seeking anything. 
you're not going to believe anybody anymore because these people are paid. They go to college. They're part of the institutions, and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they didn't. For some parts of the things, as far as being technicians and operators of certain, you know, things of MRIs and being able to run a IV up your abdomen and do stuff like that, you bet. They were damn good. But as far as truly being proactive about health and how to stay healthy, they failed tremendously. It's amazing, isn't it? The, the incentive model of the healthcare industry is not to actually solve the deep underlying cause. It's to, no. you know, put a paper on the symptom and make more money out of you somehow. And and you hear these awful stories of people who are taking a concoction of different drugs. And yet those <sighs> drugs have never been trialed on anyone in one go. They've all had individual trials and apparently they're fine, but then taken in connection with each other, like what happens when you have five, six, seven, eight of these different pills a day? No one knows. Um, and, and no one cares, frankly, because they're all making money. How interesting. And, and do you remember a specific, do you remember a specific piece of advice that that nutritionist gave you that you were like, fucking hell, that doesn't make sense. Oh, it was, well, I was, you know, cause I've never been a big sugar eater anyways. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a lot of uh, metabolical bankruptcy and from my cousins and stuff in my family, because, you know, they eat like shit and they eat over lacrosse. They came from the same soil as I do. So they have a lot of diabetes on their side. And mm -hmm. so uh, my older brother was suffering from diabetes. And she everything she said when it came to carbohydrates, protein, and everything led straight into diabetes. Mm -hmm. No matter how sick you are, they're going to tell you the same crap over and over again. They have no clue about sugars, refined sugars, all the different types of substitutes of sugars, and the complex or the, the highly processed carbohydrates that become sugars. And so she just was clueless. And what she was doing was reading off a menu, which was off of a freaking distribution that is basically, you know, our global food apparatus. Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with food itself. It has to do with marketing plans, global, global contracts. And, you know, the nutrition it does not even exist in these models of what food is within these global industrial food complexes. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, you look at the medical field. Medical field is global. You know, no matter what, it's global. So you have to feed all these sick people. Man, that's a commoditized and subsidized food system that is basically nutritionally uh, deficient. I'll just mm. say it that mm. way. Yeah, that's no, how it's, I see it's, it. It's, um, it's, and it's a fascinating subject to research. So <clears throat> you had this moment, you felt like shit, but <laughs> you, had a, you had a spark. You had a, a kind of... A moment where you go actually i can do this and you use this you use the phrase quit rent seeking save yourself yeah. what i love about those comments it's it's taking responsibility for who you are with your own actions it's not someone else going to hang around and say okay you need to come and do this or i'm going to give you that or behave in a certain way and you get rewards it's like fuck that i'm not listening to anyone else i'm going to work it out and that's yeah. what that's the entrepreneurial spirit right in one isn't it okay i've got this let me work it out. And humans are incredibly resourceful, incredibly resilient, and they just rise up for these challenges. It's incredible. So you're, you're three years down the line. You're feeling a ton better, specifically on that health journey, just to continue along that line. Like, what did you do after that point, and what helped you make you feel better? 
um, at that point, you know, what? that's whenever I, I, I really did, because I knew how everything was screwed up, and I'd walk the aisles of the supermarket looking at stuff, you know, I was researching, mm. right? And I was just like, whoa, there's no, we are living in a food desert here. And people don't really understand what that truly means. And being right in the middle of, a, you know, a city, it's not a big city in Texas. It's about 200,000 people. But to be so scarce of any good food is fascinating because this is basically right in the middle of agriculture and ranching land. You would think that you would have everything in a abundance the only thing you had in abundance was this fake commodity highly processed global bullshit and so when i when i came to that really acceptance that this is what it is i just started talking family and i you know we we all started talking as a family especially my mother and i and we started dissecting everything that grandfather did from all the way from the 18 late 1800s all the way up until the 1980s whenever we lost our land and we talked about the seasons. We talked about how we stored food. We talked about the source of the seed of the nutrition of the family. And it just was really easy, man. I just started shooting a lot of raw eggs down my throat. I started eating, uh, I started just buying red meat. And I just started cooking proteins because that's what we did. That's how we always, I grew up with the freezer full of beef. That's all we had. So I eliminated everything as much as I could out of my diet. And I just started, man, I just started living. It's that simple that it's complicated to most people. Mm. And I didn't go down and read a bunch of damn books about it. I didn't do anything. I didn't watch, you know, 42 YouTube videos on how to, you know, uh, create a food program for yourself. I just ate the shit that was close, that was local, and that my grandfather basically was a very powerful man, and that's how he ate. So I ate like my granddad. Yeah, I've I've heard. Um, well, just to share a bit more about myself, the my wife and I had a startup business that failed. Uh, it was a fascinating journey, though. We called it Foodoo, and what we were looking at was solving the problem of people uh, cooking at home with multiple dietary requirements so you know the main problem being my wife in particular had been on a health journey of her own the last 10 years suffering from all sorts of normal things like constipation etc um, bloating mm -hmm. gas and wondering how do i solve this and she had moved from australia to vietnam and dropped um gluten out of her diet uh, and suddenly felt a ton better because it's just not yeah. you, know, you don't eat much bread in vietnamese food got back to australia suddenly realized every two weeks she'd go on holiday and have lots of pasta and pizza and bread she felt like shit it's like okay well this doesn't right. make sense and started changing her diet and this was 10 years ago she started doing this um so we tried to start this company up because we were in we wanted to encourage people to cook more food at home and get out of you mentioned that the food deserts in a supermarket you, know, you walk in around the outside you've got fresh fruit and vegetable meat fish counter that's basically the only food in the whole place. The rest of it is yep. packaged crap. And that's what's making us sick. Like where are these lifestyle disease coming from? Heart disease, diabetes, all of the other kind of rocketing numbers that you see that when your grandfather was around, that didn't even exist. Why yeah. is that? Why in the fuck is that? Now, <clears throat> our business didn't work because there was too many you know, other options to get recipes from and whatever else. That's another story. But I really resonate with you, this concept of like finding real food for people that makes them better. Um, and <clears throat> there's definitely opportunities out there to to do that if you take that responsibility yourself. But then equally, I love the fact that you just went back to your, you know, your roots and you thought, well, hang on, how did my granddad live? And the lens that I came across during Fudu was 
is the the food on your plate something that your grandparent would recognize? Yes or no? If it's a no, it's not food and move on. And that's actually a very simple way of, of, of eating on a day-to-day basis, um, which I really like. Yeah, cool. So that resonates with me a lot. Wow. Okay. And so you started feeling better. And that was largely due to coming back to your roots and eating real food, which is a problem we know that many, many people have. And so when did the idea for the beef initiative come along, Slim? So you, you suddenly thought, okay, well, maybe I can um, bring my networking skills into this. Maybe Bitcoin came along first. What was that next phase like? Well, after I got healthy, I mean, I really did. I took some time off, you know, I checked out, I, I had said, screw it, you know, a long time, dropped out of corporate life, anything. So I, I know how to survive. And so I just, I had the means to be able to really focus on basically, man, you know, <laughs> about working out, about reflexology, about uh, breathing, deep breathing, all kinds of really cool shit that I learned traveling around the world for one, but that's how I grew up too. Just being very active and very physical. You had to, the way I worked, uh, farm tough, all that kind of stuff. And so I got really big into that. And I said, man, I got to go deeper down this rabbit hole with this food. So I know how to do tractors and combines and it was harvest time in Texas, all the way up the Midwest, all the way to the border of Canada and all the way back to Texas is how it plays out. So I got up in the middle of the night one day, it was about three o'clock in the morning. I wrote an email to about 14 harvest companies and so I got a job within a harvest company and I was on my way from Texas to North Dakota. And so I bedded myself in a harvest company and I was in damn good shape. I felt great. And my food was as clean as it had ever been since, you know, my childhood hanging out with my grandfather. And all of a sudden I'm on this harvest. I'm doing internal research. I'm talking to the people in the grain and the chemical companies. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. People don't really know that I'm doing, but I'm doing it. But we had to eat fiat food. We fed 20 people on a crew. They're mostly young men. And out there in North Dakota, I had to drive an hour and a half to a Walmart. That's the only place you could get food. That or a supermarket that was just, just like Walmart. It's no different. But they give the crew like a credit card and they go get about $4,000 worth of food. So all these young men that I used to grow up with that we were, we were getting fed real food on harvest. These guys are getting fed poison. Most of them were sick. They were overweight. They were, they were uh, I wouldn't say heart disease. They weren't as smart. They didn't have a lot of intentionality. They liked to play video games, and they liked to eat freaking pizza pockets and chicken tendies and sugar, sugar, sugar. And so they don't know how to feed themselves. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to do anything. They eat like children. And so, you know, as I'm on this harvest, I'm having to eat that same damn food. And I finally said, screw this. I went out and found a grass-fed farmer up there in North Dakota. And I started buying a lot of beef. And I started cooking for the whole crew, saying, you guys aren't going to eat that shit for at least two nights out of the week. And they absolutely loved it. And a lot of them never eaten like that before in their life. They'd never had that type of pure beef. That sucks because most of these guys come from small town America. That's all they used to eat was beef, eggs, and animal proteins. Now they don't even know what it is. It's foreign to them. That's a travesty. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like shit. And when I got back, I said, okay, I'm just going to do exactly what I know how to do. Exactly what my grandfather taught me. Fill up my freezer with beef and we're going to share it within the community and we're going to tell everybody about it. That's it. 
That's where it starts. And so I went up, I went up to the county square in which I grew up when it was Canyon, Texas, went up and shook a rancher's hand and said, let's talk, educate me. Where are you from? Where are your parents? Do our parents know each other? Our grandfathers know each other. He was from Canyon. I was from Canyon. We struck up a deal and the beef initiative started. Wow. And then one week after that, I met Cole Bolton of KNC Cattle, and I drove all the way down to Austin. It's 500 miles every time I make a trip from this part of Texas to Austin. Probably been there, I don't know, 20, 30 times in the last 30, uh, three years. But to say that, I met Cole Bolton, and we hit it exactly straight off. He's a Texas cowboy. I'm a Texas cowboy. And we said, let's uh, sell some beef. Let's get, let's get this shit going, and let's uh, do it with Bitcoin and fiat. Let's educate. And let's punch through this shit because 2022 is when we have to do it. So, and here Bring we are. On. Bring it on. Yeah, that's, yeah on. we didn't ask for permission. I mean, we've got, I mean, every day, 90% of our days are disappointment. The only thing that we do is we get 10% of growth every every day. That's what we're doing. This is how we're doing this. And we're, we're punching through and we're innovating during times of mass prohibition. And a lot of people don't understand how, how it's done. But now we've got success all over. We're going to have a headquarters in Tennessee. We've got a headquarters in Colorado. Uh, we're talking to California, going to Australia. We've got, you know, I just did the conf third conference this year, just finished up Georgia with White Oak Pastures. We're creating nodes all across the world, and this stuff is, we're, people are paying attention. I love that concept of a node. It's so true, isn't it? Like, if you could plug into a network that was 100% grass-fed beef that you could buy directly from a farmer anywhere in the world at any time, from any city, yep. um, yes. fucking brilliant. Do you know what I mean? You don't, you don't need yeah. a supermarket. Like I'm done. No. That's the most important thing on the on the family menu every week. Um, God, how cool! That's okay. That's ex we, yeah. That's exactly um... that's exactly how you start right there. You start right there with the best energy that you can give your family. It all starts right there. Yeah. And if you can secure that energy, everything else in your life is going to improve yeah, dramatically. Yeah, because you start feeling better. Um, yeah. Let's dwell on that slightly for a moment because it ties back into a question I had in mind, which was, you know, these these guys that you were um, uh, doing the harvest with, you know, they're eating poison. They'd never had grass-fed beef before. They didn't know what that even was versus, you know, two generations before, that's all they would have eaten. Could you expand on the problem that the world faces at the moment in terms of the food desert and the, the type of foods people are actually eating versus what they would have done ancestrally and what that's doing to them. Like, yeah. like, like, like let think of it as like a startup problem point, you know, like foodoo I was trying, you know, it's too right. to find recipes online that suit you. Okay. What the problem is people are sick and, and dying. Right. I mean, it's as simple. Yeah. As <laughs> yeah. They're, they're dying and they have all the proof that they need. They have all the medical proof. I mean, you know, you get all the records from the CDC, you know, like the CDC, you get other records. We're dying. We're metabolically bankrupt in the United States. And the thing about it is that it all started whenever we went off the gold standard and we started commoditizing, subsidizing, creating these fake commodities in the global industrial food system. And that's when we started interjecting these seed oils, vegetable oils, high fructose corn syrups, all kinds of different things into basically our food supply chain lines, and they went global. And that's when we started taking the farm out of the community, and we started basically 
selling the farm across the world. So everybody, you know, back in 1971, Eric Butts of the Nixon administration said to the farmers in the agricultural world of the United States, he said, you're going to go big or you're going to go home. You got to start monocropping fence to fence. And that's when they started interjecting all kinds of chemicals, herbicides and pesticides into basically the seed. And, and we started destroying our soil. We just started destroying our health at the same time. If you look at whenever we went off the gold standard and you look at the U.S. dollar and how it's been debased and devalued, human health has been debased and devalued along that curve. It's the same damn chart. Wow. And so by knowing that, you can really look at food and how the nutritional value of food gets cut up like cocaine or whatever it is. They take the nutrition out of it. It makes food very cheap. They subsidize and they capture the agricultural industries on a global market. And it's done by the grain and the chemical companies. Mm -hmm. There's no freaking logic into it. It's based on yields, profits, and how cheap we can make food and how much abundance they can actually act like we have when actually what we're doing is nutritionally starving a people but they're overfed and that's what a lot of people can't understand yeah, so the calorific content of food is high but the nutritional density of what we're eating has reduced yeah. over time wow yeah, yeah. And, it, and this is a massive problem i mean the I find it funny, for example, just a thought popped into my mind. You watch a sports game and what's advertised is, generally speaking, fast food. But you're watching yeah. some of the best <laughs> athletes in the world competing on a pitch that don't eat that shit, right? Ever. Yeah. You have to ask yeah. that question, don't you? Like, how do you watch an elite sportsman live their life for that moment and then kind of just think it's, it's all this subliminal messaging and it's very very hard to get away from when you live in a food desert fuck there's nothing else yeah. to eat like you know and it's no. very addictive and they make it like that on purpose right the food is made to be addictive um wow okay yeah i mean this is this is a colossal problem food i mean it's one of the things that's so exciting about bitcoin when you really start digging into what bitcoin is it's a new type of money okay but it's a neutral type of money like this yeah. has arguably never existed right ever and then you look at the history of money and you realize, well, money has been a big fucking problem for human prosperity forever. And yet here this, this innovations come along and you go, wow, this is something really different. Um, and actually let's chime off that. So the adopting Bitcoin in your life was part of this journey in terms of food intelligence. So what was it about Bitcoin that got you excited that really resonated with you? And, and, you know, you mentioned this decentralization lens that you had previously, that was obviously like quite a quick process for you. Was it to suddenly go, this is going to be, this is real. Yeah. It's going to work. It's not going to die. I'm in. Yeah. What was fascinating was that, of course, that was, a, I, I had the decentralized mindset already. Mm. And so that got to expand pretty fast. But what I really loved about everything is that me being from Texas, man, I love freaking Texas history. And I started breaking down and I know about the cattle industry in the state of Texas. We basically invented the cattle drive. You know, we invented freaking ranching. <laughs> we are cattle, you know, in the United States. And at one time we fed a nation after the Comanche Wars and after the Civil War and after the Mexican War with Texas and the U.S. at that time because we were a state. We basically were asked to feed a nation and we did it with cattle. And cattle was energy for a nation. So that had a very strong store of value to it. 
the cattle itself. You didn't have to worry about the land too much because we had abundance of land and the cattle could, the cattle could roam. And so, you know, in the beginning, the value of the cow was in the cow. And you had the cowboys that took care of those damn cows because you had to take them from 100 to 200 to 1,000 miles on a cattle drive. So you had to steward those cattle. Well, they were very valuable to you because they were actually providing energy to a nation. Well, in time, we had fences. We had ranches. We had a lot of things that happened in Texas. And whenever that happened, the value of the cow probably went more into the land than it was at the cow at the time. So the store of the value for the rancher and of the cow and of the land has changed throughout the history of time and the history of Texas too. But what I saw in Bitcoin was that it was a new store of value that we had in the past that we don't have right now. And that's why the American rancher and animal producers are captured because they're living in a debt economy and they're enslaved by a debt apparatus that keeps them basically borrowing money and collecting money from the government whenever they've lost the store of the value of their cow. Well, now they have a new store of value that they can leverage into. And they understand that because a cattleman, a true cattleman, understands Texas cattle history. Mm. And so that's, that was my big correlation. And that's, that's really what I saw that excited me the most about um, the store of the value in Bitcoin because it's about legacies. It's about heritage. It's how you can use Bitcoin to, to where you can steward your family's generations on down the line. Mm-hmm. Just like what we did in the first days of 1878 Texas, whenever we started the cattle drive. Wow. Yeah. And history is such a, a fascinating subject, isn't it? There's always so much to it. I, I often wonder, though, you know, history is written by the victors, so to speak. So, you know, right. what's true, what's not true. It's it's really hard to kind of decipher at times. Um, before we go down that rabbit hole, though, I want to ask a question. I heard you on a pod recently with the Meat Mafia boys, and they asked a great question. So you're wearing an awesome uh, hat right now, your cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. So you told a story about boots and hat. Can you, right. can you tell my listeners, if you want to wear cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, which comes first and how do you do it? Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up because it's very valuable information. <laughs> so <laughs> no, just so no matter it cracked me up. I'm like, I never knew that, obviously. And I've never been to Texas. One day I will, I'm sure. But right. very important thing to know in case you ever go to Texas, guys. <laughs> we'll, we'll be pretty funny here because it, but it is true, man. You, if you do it any other way, I tell you what, you're going to get called out. You don't want to be made fun of by a real freaking Texas cowboy. That's no way. Sure. No, you don't want to. But anyways, we're usually pretty humble, and but we can be smart asses pretty fast. But you ever walk in into any place and you're just wearing a cowboy hat with certain type of shoes that's not a cowboy boot, you're going to get a weird look on your face. <laughs> and you're going to be, uh, we're going to be questioning you really quick. The protocol for learning how to dress and act like a cowboy is you got to get your boots first, and they got to match your damn personality. That's for sure. Okay. And so they got to be something that you pick out that you don't do. It's not trendy for somebody else. It's trendy for who you are. Once you got your dang cowboy boots, you can wear those for a while and get your walk down. And then you can go and start looking at a hat. And every hat fits you. And you got to make sure that you're not buying something off a stupid, cheap ass hat rack. You're going to go in there and you're going to get it made and fitted. And you're going to help design it yourself to where it fits you, your personality. Then you can start walking around and people are going to give you some respect because it's got some character and it's got some style to it 
Awesome. Well, I'm loving your style from what I can see here, Slim. It's great. <laughs> it's, and it's funny, you notice when, when you start studying Bitcoin and you learn about proof of work, you, you start seeing it in all sorts of funny parts of life. So what yeah. you've just described in some ways is proof of work. You really sat down and thought about the boots that you're wearing and you really sat down and got a proper hat made and people value that. They go, yeah, fair play, mate. That looks epic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There you, you start have seeing it, yeah. it. You start seeing it everywhere in all sorts of different parts of culture. It's, um, it's really interesting. Okay, so it really so is. That's a good way. Uh, that's a good way to reflect on that. That's uh, well done. Thank you. So, Slim, I just want to sh give a shout out to some of the listeners out there. We've got some questions that came through. So, Rory sure. Honkin Hodler, do farmers and ranchers want to move away or understand? Uh, sorry, let me start again. Do farmers and ranchers understand or want to move away from chemical applications on their farms? Or are the fiat incentives too strong to stay with current practices? I mean, that's a, that's a good general question because that's where we are with, you know, a lot of people that have some awareness in this. You know, there's many, many uh, farmers out there that are wholesome, good people and everything, but that's all they know. That's all they know and that's all they will ever believe is the chemical apparatus. Mm. Uh, they believe in it wholeheartedly and they'll argue it till they, you know, till the end of times. And you can't fault them. That's what they know. But you're there again. But then you have a good amount of the population of the farmers that are kind of stuck in the middle. You know, they're, they're kind of captured in a way that, you know, here in the United States, we have the technology use agreement that was built by Monsanto. And they have to sign that technology use agreement. If they don't, they can't grow crops. Yeah, so it's a form right. of capture. Yeah, it's a form of capture that they don't love and they're not going to talk about that much. It's, it's a pain point in their lives and they want out. You know, they do want out and they mm. want answers. They want education. They want hope. And then you've got the guys that are actually pretty much a lot younger generation that I'm seeing that are just really getting into regenerative. Uh, and they're helping some people like, uh, let's say like Cole Bolton. He's got some ranchers that are basically wanting to get off of their protocols within the chemical and grain, of, you know, within ranching in Texas and kind of go into his protocol because they see what he's doing. So you got a lot of people, you do have a good shift that we're starting to see. Once that happens, you will have a snowball effect. It'll be geographical. It'll be in certain places. But one thing is going to be key, especially in ranching, you'll see more of it whenever you have a decentralized processing center that's not one of the big four multinational processing mm. centers. And once you see that and they have faith in that, then you're going to see innovation within innovation start happening. And that's what we're doing with the beef initiative because we're starting to uh, we're starting to counsel uh, or consult and advise on processing centers in the state of Texas with the help of the people that we've been along with the last couple of years. And so people are wanting to basically start expanding out the processing centers and we're, we're, we're doing it right now in Texas. Interesting. And so the, the processing centers I imagine were highly centralized or are highly centralized and therefore They're highly centralized. And, yes. and is that one of the major problems that you guys face? It's the biggest bottleneck of uh, true good food and wow. nutrition that is going on in the United States right now. For multinational 
processing centers that are not based in the United States of America are controlled of 80% of all of our animal protein at this time. Wow. Hell yeah, it's a big problem. And they're multinational. They're big. They're, they're wrought with uh, corruption. They've uh, had so many times they've had fines. It's, it goes deep. It's yeah. another podcast within itself. But yeah. if, if we, we, we know it exists, it's going to exist and it's going to move forward still. Yeah. But what we can do is we can circumvent around it. We don't have to ask their permission. Mm. Well, and that's the, that's the cool thing about incentives, right? And again, a Bitcoin analogy, but number go up is a really important part of the design. Like if, if people weren't motivated by some form of greed, they probably wouldn't look at adopting this new technology. Like, why would you bother? But actually, right. because the, the the potential for gains is, you know, extraordinarily good, people are getting drawn in and then they turn up and then they realize, actually, hang on, have I ever really owned anything before having my own <laughs> digital keys? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like the property yep. I'm sitting in right now, okay, it's a rented one, but the guys that own this land, they've got it off a government that can take it off them whenever the fuck they want. Like, is your property yep. really yours? And it opens exactly. up that whole can. That's that's another podcast as well, Slim. Um, it is. Yeah, okay, so talking about incentives, though, the incentive for a farmer to develop a long-term and sustainable business model is always going to be in place with a family farm. And therefore, yeah. if they see a problem with the seed provider and it's too centralized, and they see a problem with the processing plants, it's too centralized, and you provide a solution to that, the beef initiative, then suddenly people, you know, you're getting traction. That's what startups yeah. are all about, right? How good's your idea? I've got the best idea ever. Okay, well, have you done any execution towards making it happen? Yeah, I did all this stuff. Well, what's the traction like? Oh, no one gave a shit. Well, it's not a startup then. Do you know what I mean? It's not working. Whereas you're proving <laughs> it's an idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is that there is there is there is hope for these guys. And if you provide alternative solutions, people are choosing to use them. And that's what's exciting. So yeah. on that front, I have another question, this time from the Wizard of Oz. And he says, in his experience, what do farmers value most about Bitcoin? And is there a common thread for a light bulb moment? The comments, you know, what I found, because people have been asking me from the very beginning, and some of the ranchers that I work with, they're still not there on Bitcoin. And some of the ranchers that I work with, the other ones, they're totally into it from day one. Mm -hmm. And so, but the common thread that I do see is that they they understand volatility already. They get it all the time, man, with, uh, with commodity prices, with droughts with the play on the dollar, with, you know, just everything that goes in subsidization within, you know, uh, having to have insurance policies, all kinds of the volatility. Hell, that don't bother them. They, they battle that crap every day. Mm. And so whenever they can, when they truly understand, and this is the light bulb moment that most of them have seen, is that it can be peer to peer. It can be decentralized and they don't have to ask for permission. And it's basically something that they could keep and they could steward all by themselves. Man, all it does, it takes relationship building with these guys first. Mm. And that's what we all have to understand. We mm. don't, Bitcoin's not for sale. We're not selling Bitcoin. We're basically, Bitcoin follows along after we establish valuable communications that establish valuable relationships. Once you have that trust that's verified with somebody, the conversation always goes into Bitcoin. Once that happened, Bitcoin's an afterthought. You're just innovating together and you're understanding that to be the tool that you, the individual, needs it to be for you. Every rancher is going to have a different reason, but they're all now talking within the Beef Initiative and saying, hey, 
what about this? What about storage? How do you think about this? And so the conversation starting to spider web out through the ranching industry. Once that happens, man, this innovation is going to blow up and mm. you're going to see that happen. That's, well, that's, right on and the that's what's so exciting, isn't it? <clears throat> I talk about this a fair bit on this podcast, but <clears throat> the simple question, like why are people converging on Bitcoin? Like you're in Texas right now. I'm in Melbourne. I've had people on the show in Africa, in other parts of America, in Europe, in Asia. And you go, hang on, what's going on here? Like all of these people are getting drawn into this thing for a reason that it's useful to them. And that means that the yeah. previous system isn't useful enough. And that's very, very exciting to see play out. So yeah, it, it'll happen in, in lots of different areas as well. I mean, we touched briefly on healthcare. I had a doctor on the show at one stage and he was expecting Bitcoin to completely revolutionize the healthcare industry, which is also very exciting given how sick everyone is. Um, yeah. Well, Slim, listen, like a, a whole hour's flown by and um, I have to go and help my wife now. So we're going to have to cut this off. Thank you so much <laughs> for your time. The, the last question I have for you, or last thing to say is, I hope we get the chance to meet in person when you come over to Australia in January, February of next year. Yeah. And the Australian Beef Initiative is kicking off and some friends of mine here in Melbourne who, you know, a guy basically went out to a farm, Regen Ag nearby, bought some cows, got them run across the land, started selling the beef in Melbourne for sats. That's now developed John, John Tin and shout out to John into yeah. the Australian Beef Initiative. And it's like, fucking bring it on. Because we need yes. better food in central Melbourne. It's there's no doubt about it. So yeah, I look forward to getting the chance to meet in person as and when that comes. And um, thank you so much for your time today. The last question being, where can people get in touch with you if they want to reach out and you know they won't have any questions about the beef initiative? Yeah, the best place to go, this uh, the the platform that I like to point everybody to, there's two of them. It's the beefinitiative.com, of course, but also go to the Substack because we funnel everything through my newsletter. It's texasslim.substack.com. Awesome. You want to catch up on anything, you want to do anything, know anything from podcasting to beef to what we're doing, schedules, it's all there. Awesome. So yeah, it's we try we're we're getting better. You know, I I've I've started this on my own and started with just writing one little newsletter article. And so this is where we've come to. So it's fascinating. So Legend, well I done. can't wait. I can't wait to meet you guys. You know, this is going to be a blast in Australia. We're going to, we're going to, we got some time to plan it out really well. I think we're going to get a lot of international attention and get people to pay attention. And let's yeah, get, wicked. you know, yeah, I look it, forward it'll be to good. It. Sam, enjoy the, the rest of your day. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you, Jake. Take care. Okay. Well done, friends. You made it to the end of the episode. I couldn't be more grateful for you sharing this time with me and putting your energy into this project. If you like what you hear, please, first and foremost, share it with your friends and family. Getting the message out to those around us nearest and dearest, I think is one of the most important things we can possibly do. On top of that, wherever you listen to this, please rate, subscribe, share, etc. I'd really appreciate the support there as I try and build out this podcast. And lastly, I'm looking to build a network of startups and founders in this space. So if you know anyone that's interested in building a business and is looking for investment, please send them in my direction. Thank you so much, guys. You've been listening to Bitcoin with you.